This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Brian Fitton and (laughs) sorry, I had to do that. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I am not Alex, but Alex is here with me, and uh, I get to interview her. This is the last episode of the season. Are you excited? It's been a long, uh, long journey here. I'm excited. It's going to be hard to take a little bit of a break. I'm not going to know what to do with my uh, my my time now. All your all your free time. All of your you free time too. What are you going to do? Oh yeah, I'll get to work on my own stuff. Then this is the brains of the operation right here. <laughs> yeah, very small. All right, so uh, we're going to ask you a few questions, basically what uh, what you ask your guests, so I'm, I'm excited to learn all of these things about oh, you. Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm excited that other people get to uh, hear about your story and our story together, so it should be fun. So anyway, all right. Well, uh, Alex, thanks so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you here. And uh, you've obviously been very involved in the adoptive community. And uh, so tell us a little bit about about your family, you know, and kids, names, ages. I can do that. So I'm clearly married to Brian. Yes. My wonderful husband. We've been married for a little over five years um, which is not very long, actually. We've had a lot of experience crammed into five five years. Um, and we have we have three um like traditional children, I would say, and those are not even all traditional. Mm-hmm. And then we have one kind of bonus kid, and I'll, I'll kind of I'll get into that. So we have Grady, who is who's three today, as of this recording. He's three, and we have Rock, who is two. We have Jane, who's one. So mm-hmm. today we can no longer say we have three under three. Yeah, we can say three, three and under, but three, three and under. Yeah, that's true. But you know, that still has a ring to it. Yeah, that's and cool. then there's Clark. Like I said, he's our bonus kid. He is 16 years old, and yeah, um, yeah I think that that's so. I mo- mainly stay at home, and that's really, really awesome. I love it, and I do this podcast, mm-hmm. which is. My favorite thing outside of like, you know, love on our kids that I get to do. And yeah, I mean, I mainly just follow you around and help you with all of your adventures. <laughs> well, it's, it's changing though, because now this is me following you around with all yeah, your with my one so. adventure. Hey, it's awesome though. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. So, um, yeah, so you got, you typically have your hands full. Right. A little bit with uh, with all our all the children, all the children with so, three toddlers, three toddlers running around. Um, all right, so tell me a little bit about. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, this is we can kind of go into even before we met. But um, what really pushed you towards adoption? And tell us tell us a little bit about your story. So I have wanted to adopt specifically older kids since I was. Uh, probably like late high school. That's just always, for some reason, it's been on my heart. I really can't even point to a specific thing that got me into the idea. I just, I kind of feel like that uh, shows me that it was God's calling because it didn't really come out of anything. It just has always been on my heart since as long as I can remember. And so that was something like, I think our probably second date, I 
worked that in somehow to our conversation and made sure you were going to be cool with that. Should this work out? Um, and it did. So we were pregnant. I, I got pregnant with Grady, our oldest, and I, we were, I was pregnant with him when we started going through the training to do, um, to do adoption for older kids. We were, we had our eye on a couple of boys that we had found in the project zero heart gallery and they were, we thought they were about seven or eight. They looked pretty young. I think it was an older photo. Um, but then we found out after we had already started pursuing them that they were 12 and 13. So yeah. we were, we were really surprised because we had not planned. We were thinking, you know, seven, eight, eight ish age. Um, Maybe so the photo was a little older. That's what I was saying. I think it was an older it, yeah. photo, but it wasn't, it couldn't have been that old. I think they might've just looked younger anyway, but, um, Anyway, so we had already been pursuing them, though, so we kept on. We were we had decided, like, okay, well, we're just going to, I guess, maybe this is what God has for us. And we went through the training, and everyone thought we were crazy because I was pregnant. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> which we were. I mean, we, we were crazy. Let's not pretend. Yeah. Um, so then we got through the training, got our home opened, reached out to those two boys, adoption specialist, and they had been adopted or they were in the process of being adopted. So we were pretty crushed. Um, I think you were even a little more crushed than I was. Um, I don't know what it was. I think I was just kind of prepared for what was happening. I don't know. Um, but it was going to be, so we found out that they were being adopted in January and it was not until August that we actually got Clark in our home. Yeah. Um, it was June, I think, early June when we met him. And that's when we started the process of adopting him. And that was something that, you know, this is, um, I think you were a little more hesitant than I was. Um, and I'm not really sure what the reason was. I think that God had always put it on my heart that we were going to adopt and, uh, I had my running shoes on and that's really the only way I can describe it. I just was tunnel vision. And I look back now and I wonder why, why that happened because I don't know. I, I don't want to say that I instantly regretted it, but I instantly, I don't, I don't know if this has been, this, this journey has been the same amount, if not more of a personal journey than a, than a journey of adoption for our boys. Um, it's been something that I've learned and grown from more than any other time in my life. And I can remember we got Clark and like I said, I mean, this is what I've been wanting and pushing for and striving for and working towards and all of those things. I mean, it was just push, push, push. Um, and then I remember the day he moved in and I went and stood in my closet and just cried because I don't know. It was all those, all those feelings and motivation were just gone. Mm -hmm. And it was the weirdest thing ever. And I just didn't understand. I felt like God had abandoned me. Like he had pushed us to this, this place and all of a sudden it was gone. I had no love in my heart for Clark. I, um, I, I didn't resent him immediately, but I think that I, um, I don't know. I, I think that I just was a little bit bitter because I didn't understand. I didn't understand why I had, I thought that the motivation and the, like the love and and passion for adoption would transfer into, into a motherly love. And it didn't, 
And I was shocked by that. And nobody had told me that that's what would happen or that it might happen or anything. Um, He was, it was his 14th birthday. It was the day after his 14th birthday when he moved in with us. So he was a pretty fresh teenager. He had a a year under his belt, I guess. Um, And so, but we, we moved on and it was only a week and a half later that we found out that I was pregnant with Jane, (laughs) which was a complete surprise. It was not something that we had planned. Um, I was, I wasn't very excited. I wasn't upset necessarily. I just didn't really know how to take it because I was, I didn't know what to do with all of these feelings that I had about Clark and with him being here and what I was, what, how, what I was to him and how I felt about him. And then now all of a sudden I was going to have two babies on top of that. And I was just so overwhelmed. Um, but you know, I mean, it, like I said, I got excited pretty quick. We were going to have two kids, 16 months apart they were all going to be really close in age or the two of them were going to be really close in age and uh, we moved on we were trying to find our new normal we found out that jane was a girl which was really exciting um we had a big gender reveal and it was the day after our gender reveal i was sitting in the car line to pick up clark from school (laughs) and i got a call from a Fort Smith number, and that's where our boys are from. Um, and I figured I better answer it. I kind of thought it was our alarm oh, company because yeah, yeah. it's based in Fort Smith. So I was like, oh, no, is someone broken into our house? Or um, So I, w- I picked it up, which was rare. I don't usually pick up numbers. I don't know. But um, on the other line was a new adoption specialist. She was She had just taken on Clark's case. And so I thought she was just calling me to introduce herself and uh, was really, really shocked to find out that she was calling to inform me that Clark's mom had had another baby and abandoned him at the hospital. And would we please adopt him? And I was pregnant. I hadn't told them I was pregnant yet. Um, not oh, I that, forgot about that. Yeah, it's not that I was keeping it a secret. I just, at the time, it didn't really, um, it didn't really matter. Yeah, they didn't like need to know. Um, But I I had to ask them for I said, we can take them, but I'm going to have to have a waiver because in Arkansas, one of the rules is that you can only have two children under three in the house, bio and adopted. So I had to ask for a waiver for when um, when the baby would come home with us. So the plan was that he was going to, that was a Thursday. He was supposed to come and live with us. He was being released from the NICU that day. He was born with a bunch of drugs in his system. Um, He also had a liver hematoma and a brain hematoma. And he had had, I believe it was placenta previa, was the the cause for his emergency C-section at 37 weeks. So he had a rough start. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't even know she was pregnant. We had no idea this was coming. It completely blindsided us. And I, I called you in a panic um, and you didn't answer the phone, of course. <laughs> so I did what uh, what any good wife would do. And I just kept on calling, just blew your phone up until I answered you answered on the second one, though. Was it the second one? Yeah. I thought it was the third. I don't know. Anyway, you answered and I was just a bawling mess. And I, I mean, it was it was crazy. And this is how I know it was God, because at the beginning of the conversation, I called you assuming that we would not take the baby. Yeah. I just had to tell you about it. Yeah. And I was saying like, we can't do this. This is ridiculous. Like we're going to, we're about to have a baby. And, um, and we already have a baby. Speaking of babies. Speaking of, I don't know if you guys can hear, but that is him not enjoying his nap right now. So, yeah. um, so, but within, I mean, it was a five minute conversation. Maybe it was really short. And, 
by the end of it, we had come to the conclusion that we were going to adopt this baby. We had to. Um, that's how we felt. And it's weird because I think that I think that I was trying to learn my lesson from having jumped in headfirst to a situation that we didn't really know what to do with, with Clark. So I was prepared to trust your judgment either way. And surprisingly, it was you that was, um, you were, you were like, we, we have to do this. So we did. Um, and he was supposed to come and live with us on Sunday. Uh, and over the weekend, our, our oldest Grady had to end up going to the hospital and that was so scary. And this was one of those things I felt like God just heaped on so much because you were also having some medical problems and you had been Mm -hmm. in the hospital and you were about to have another surgery shortly after. And then Grady had to go to the hospital. Um, and we were afraid that it was looking like cancer was a possibility because his white count was really high and it wasn't responding to antibiotics. And, um, it turns out it was just a really, um, resistant infection or, um, virus or something like that. They, um, anyway, so we were, we were really happy when he got to be released a couple of days later, but we had obviously put it off, but I was terrified that they were going to not give us the baby because we asked for an extension just, you know, give us a few more days. Um, but they were fine. The foster family was okay with keeping him for another few days. So he ended up being with a foster family for almost a week and he came to live with us on Wednesday. So we brought home a baby from the hospital. I'm almost halfway through my pregnancy with Jane and we brought home another baby. This was all within a week. Yeah. It's interesting because even at the hospital, I mean, I remember kind of breaking down a little bit and I don't think I let you see that, but making phone calls to our pastor and our family and trying to figure out this situation because obviously it was, um, it was, it was a crazy time, but trying to deal with your child might, might have cancer. And then also there's a child that's waiting to come into your home. Also, there's a teenager that's being a typical teenager acting out and doing poorly at school and all the other things that come with teenager angst. And, uh, I think that was a time too that our our pastor's our pastor's wife Heidi Lofton, um, I had called or she had called me just to kind of check up, and I kind of broke down on the phone with her, and then she was uh, it was kind of interesting because she was very she was she was like a good upset like she was mad that we hadn't reached out earlier because everything was kind of falling apart and you know we're just kind of standing in the middle of a house burning down and she's outside and she's like why in the world didn't you tell us you know um so that really opened my eyes to obviously how we need to (laughs) if you're in the adoptive foster care community like reaching out to those that that care about you and love you um because almost immediately after that was when um they they rallied i mean they got everything together and set up everything. And obviously people were bringing dinner and letting me go home and sleep because I was still working while Grady was in the hospital. It was just, it was just nuts. I mean, that's just, it was a crazy time. So it was really crazy. It was a really crazy like couple of weeks specifically, because like I said, you had just been discharged from the hospital and you were about to have another surgery like a month later or something. So, and you had had a surgery while you were in the hospital. And I think that both of us felt like we had used up our help bandwidth with that because we got Clark and I was still reeling from not understanding what was happening to me or why I didn't love him or why I didn't just, why the joy of adoption didn't, 
carry me through that time. Um, so let's let's talk about that because you and I have discussed that before. But what uh, what was it like in that moment? Because and jumping back to when we first got Clark, and then obviously when we got Rock as well. But why wasn't that? Why do you think that that instant love wasn't there that you expected? Um, I don't know. I think that. I think it's a combination. I think that, first of all, I think that God God has been, and at the time specifically, was was allowing me to fall a little bit. Um, I think, A, because I didn't, I didn't trust you and listen to you the way I should have. Um, and it's hard to look back now. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's hard to say that I wouldn't do it again because it got us to where we are. But at the same time, I feel like that, um, I don't know, I feel like that pushed you away and it made you feel like I didn't respect you and respect your leadership in a way. Um, So I think that part of it was a natural consequence. I think Mm -hmm. that part of it was that God was allowing me to, to, um, to hit rock bottom or to start the plummet toward rock bottom in a way so that I could climb up with, with him, um, I think I had been going on for a long time. And I also think there was a selfish aspect too. You know, I, I thought adoption was really cool and I do feel like that was what God put on my heart and that was what God called us to. But at the same time, I think I was using that for selfish gain just a little bit. I mean, like I said, I don't think that my motives were purely bad, but I think that that's a reason why we got kids that, don't look completely unlike us. I mean, obviously they don't look like us, but they're, they're our same ethnicity. And that was something like we were completely open to adopting kids of any race, any whatever. And God put like white kids in our home who, (laughs) um, who could, I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for them to look like us. And I didn't understand that either. And I learned later that, um, that I think uh, that God did that because it, it, it couldn't be about me in yeah. any way. It was yeah. not obvious that we adopted. And I remember a few times, you know, I, I went back to that closet a lot over that first year and just to cry, just to pray because I just needed a break. I needed to escape. I didn't understand where, you know, where those feelings went, why I didn't love him, why I was so frustrated and bitter and resentful towards him. And, one day I've, I, it wasn't an audible voice. I won't say it was, but I just, I think that God has never spoken clearer to me. And I just was asking him why, why don't, why don't I feel about him the way I thought I would feel about him? Yeah. Why is this happening to me? Where are you in this? Why did you leave me? And I remember God saying to me, Alex, this is still my plan, even though it's not about you. And it is about me, but it's not about me in the way that I thought it was going to be. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I said, I think that God has really taught me and it became pretty clear, you know, my mission in life for so long was just, it was adoption, adoption. We're going to adopt. And I think that I thought that once we adopted, once we got them in our house, that the journey would be not over because obviously motherhood and parenthood is still hard, but I just thought that like that was going to be the closing of my journey. And then... I think it was a process. It certainly wasn't immediate, but it was a pretty pretty quickly after we got Clark when I realized my new purpose, um, mm-hmm. my new calling was to 
was to bring awareness to, to how this, to what this is like. You know, I, it's always been my, my dream to write and to speak and to, um, to do these kinds of things. And I felt like God was saying, you're going through this so that you can show other people how to go through it. Yeah. Meaning that, you know, there's so many, um, there's a lot of, uh, not even secrecy. I don't want to say secrecy, secrecy, but there's a lot of like, push down or hidden stuff within the adoptive community just because they don't want to scare people away and they feel like they have to be really protective of their kids, you know, histories or business or whatever, or, um, and I, and, and part of it is I don't really know. I, I, you know, that's something that's never transparency has never been hard for me. It's never, I mean, people have always told me that they, you know, wow, you're so transparent. You're so honest and open and whatever else. And it's never felt like work to me. That's just always happened. Yeah. It's, I, I, that's just me being myself. Um, even in your blog, that was the same way. Right. And that's what I meant. It's just, you know, but at, at the same time, I had a blog and I wrote on it really consistently and I even made money off of it at one point. And it got to like, after we got Clark, I just, I didn't know what to say anymore. Because I didn't know how I felt. I didn't know how to express how I felt. I just remember talking to anyone I could talk to and saying, how long did it take you to love your kids? What about these hard things? What is rad? And how do I know if my kid has it? What is going on? This is not normal. How do I talk to him? Why does nobody talk about this? Why is nobody saying these things? And I just felt over and over and over again that God was saying, Alex, you're supposed to be saying these things. Um, and so that's why I made the podcast. <laughs> um, that's jumping <laughs> yeah. way ahead in the story, but that's really the reason that I wanted to do this is just to have a bigger outlet for transparency and to be honest, because, um, I, I don't know, like I said, that's never been hard for me. I know it is for some people, but I think that, I think that we're doing each other as adoptive families an incredible disservice in keeping so much a secret. Yeah. Um, I think that we need to trust each other to handle it, to take it, um, to not judge us. And you know what? If they do judge us, then that's fine. I'm not that that's not going to say that I don't care what people think, because I care what people think a lot more than I should. But I just mean that someone has to break the mold. Yeah. And I really feel like God has asked me to do that in this in this uh, area. Well, I, I think even with adoptive families in general, like foster families too. I mean, there's, there's this fear that maybe you feel like you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're messing up and everybody else is perfect and you're not, and you're the only one going through this stuff. What's wrong with me? What's yeah. wrong with me? What's wrong with our family? Why can't we just be normal and, and figure this out? And, and the truth is that, I mean, this is a broken system and it's a broken world. And God never intended for families to be like this, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, now that we're coming, uh, now that just people in general are coming in and, and being the knee or being the, you know, called by God to basically be, fill that role of a, of a father and a mother, um, he's using it in different ways, but in that we're still human and we still feel like we're the only ones in this. And I think, I think too, that's, that's something that a lot of people, you kind of seclude yourself. And once you start doing that, then it just gets harder and harder. And I think that's what we did. It was it was just pretty hard there for a long time um, until we started opening up. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, that kind of brings us back to where I was in the story. So, I mean, we got Rock and he, 
um, was not named Rock at the time, <laughs> although we started calling him that pretty early on just because we knew. I mean, he came to us as what's called a provisional. Um, what is it called? <laughs> Pro- it's it was like a provisional placement or um it wasn't because he wasn't post tpr which tpr is terminational termination of parental rights but they knew he would be so they still had that's based on the history right bio mom um yeah yeah and i just meant they knew he would be but they still had to go through the process like the court process of posting it on you know the notice boards and seeing if other family came forward but they told us i mean he was an adoptive placement um legal risk placement well, that's what there it's called go. legal risk placement um and it was just because we already so we already had his half brother and so in order to keep siblings together they they placed him in our home as an adoptive placement but it took almost two years for his adoption to become finalized so anyway um, when he came into our home, he, like I said, he was born with methamphetamine, opiates, um, marijuana. She smoked cigarettes, um, just all kinds of stuff, a lot of drugs. And we didn't know what to expect with that. And turns out what to expect with that is just crying nonstop. <laughs> yeah. Um, which babies already do, but babies that are in withdrawal. Well, he uh, had the trimmers. I mean, yeah. he just would only... Keep in mind, I'm pregnant, like very pregnant. And he would only sleep on me, which was really hard because I'm not a cuddly person as it is. But when I was pregnant, I just didn't want to be touched by anyone. <laughs> and this baby would not let me put him down. And that was really hard for me because, I mean, again, I think that this has been a journey for me too. Um and it was just, oh my gosh, we just didn't get a lot of sleep. That was a really rough transition because we did not, like, we didn't have time to prepare ourselves for the sleep transition or just the jumping into a newborn situation. We didn't have a nursery together. We got a flood of a baby shower from our church family. They brought us a crib. They brought us a changing table. They brought us diapers and formula and just everything we could need it was incredible. And we talked about that a little bit on the episode with Charlie and Heidi Lofton. Um, but it was just, it was rough. I just, I think I cried every single day. Yeah. And it was so hard. And I remember because we have stairs in our house and all the bedrooms are upstairs. And I was, so I was pregnant, had a newborn and a toddler and I was having to carry them upstairs and I just remember sitting on the stairs and like completely having a panic attack, like breaking down and saying, I cannot do this anymore. Um, and that was the hardest thing because I think that it was there that I realized that I have to, like, I feel like I can't do this. And I think I learned the capacity that I had as a mom and just as a person, the incredible capacity that we have to do hard things. Um, when you just, when you feel like you're going to break, you are going to break. And I saw what God can do. I saw him put people in our lives to help. I saw him completely break me of my inability to ask for help. Um, I saw you, you know, you were having a lot of medical issues with your shoulder and pain problems and you couldn't lift the kids at at that point and that made it even harder because I was kind of on my own a lot but I saw you push past some really hard stuff some really dark things um that you were struggling with in order to be there for me and our family um 
And I saw myself lean on God. I saw me say, I can't do this anymore and then do it some more. Yeah. Um, but we, we made it to April when I had Jane. Somehow we made it to April. Somehow. It took Rock. So Rock is five and a half months older than Jane, and it took every bit of four months for him to completely withdraw from the drugs. Yeah. So we were nearing the finish line of my pregnancy when we finally started getting a little bit of relief from Rock, um, just withdrawing and freaking out all the time. So we had Jane, and... That about that time is when Clark's issues started getting really bad. Um, that was about the time it was shortly after that that we had to put him in his first acute hospital stay, acute behavioral hospital stay. Yeah. Um, he that was right right at the time of his adoption, and it was a few months before that that he uh, he had run away, started running away a lot, and just showing some really scary behavioral signs um, at home. He's a performer, so he did not show it to other people. So that was another way that we felt really um, not taken care of by a lot of people. It's not, I'm not calling out anyone specifically, but it was just really hard for a lot of people to imagine Clark doing anything like what we were describing. Yeah. Because he doesn't seem like that. He seems like a really nice kid. And he, he, he's a good kid. He is a good kid. Yeah. But trauma will mess you up. Absolutely. And and we got a lot of like, oh, I just can't imagine him doing that. Oh, surely not. And I think people thought we were crazy um, or that we were bitter or just seeing things the wrong way or being too hard on him or whatever else. And that was that made us feel really alone um, yeah. because we didn't understand. We, when he came into our home, we were told he was a perfectly normal, like fine kid. Um, we were told that he only had one kind of trauma and come to find out he has like three or four. Yeah. Um, and we didn't really know what to do with that. And so, uh, we had three babies and I mean, they were all under a year and a half when Jane was born. They were all 16 months within 16 months of each other. And yeah, so Clark was just having a lot of stuff going on. And so we've had, um, we still had another year to go before your medical issues got yeah. better, before we got some relief <laughs> from your pain. Um, and that was a hard journey too. Yeah. It was a really hard journey. So we've really had, we've run the gamut on issues that we've faced. And I, I'm thankful looking back now that I feel like we, um, we did face a lot of them all at once. And that was really rough. Um, I'm, I'm, I think that I would have rather had it, that way than to have it, you know, little things nonstop spread over like 10 years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't even, yeah, I'm just, I'm like processing this now and I'm just like ticking off all the things (laughs) that we dealt with all at once. Yeah. Um, gosh, that was so hard. It was was so hard. Something Um, that kind of explained it to me in this last series we did at church, but Charlie talked about Moses and, Basically how God's people, he leads them into um, obstacles or adversity so that he will be glorified in that. And I look back at our journey and through all that has just been, it, it really was. It was like most of the time people deal with one thing. So they deal with one, you know, like with me, it was it was a shoulder issues and pain over that extended period of time. Most chronic of the time that, pain yeah, plus depression. Chronic pain, just all of the stuff just kind of mixed in and 
then and then you add in oh yeah a teenager with you know some trauma issues and then you add in being pregnant like being pregnant in general a lot of times is its own thing Mm -hmm. um not on top of a a baby with that's withdrawing and then also a wobbler slash toddler learning to crawl and walk and eat and feed himself and all of the things you know so but keep in mind i mean he was still he was still nursing when all this happened yeah oh yeah yeah when i found out i was pregnant he was only eight months old almost nine months old yeah yeah Yeah, that's true oh man so yeah so um continuing on with our story so i mean there was kind of a period i'm not going to say a period of peace necessarily um because it was still all these hard things but um it was a period of just kind of surviving i'll say that it was um we were we were just making it through and then um you know all at the same time you know brian your pain stuff got really really bad uh, we had to switch surgeons so you could have your fourth arm surgery um, because two of them had been botched and one of them was only part of the problem. And then we were really hoping this fourth one would finally do the trick. And there was a lot of disappointment because you would have a surgery. It would send our family reeling for a month because you would be out and coming off pain. And then Clark would misbehave because you were down and that really freaked him out. And um, so, I mean, we had been through this you know, twice already since Clark had been there. And then we were just, we, we, I don't, I don't know that we, I'm sure we could have because I, God can do anything, but we just really felt like we couldn't, our family couldn't survive another botched surgery, another (laughs) failed surgery. And so, but right about this time, you know, Jane turned one, you were about to, well, your surgery got moved up because all of Clark's issues kind of came to a head. Um, on Mother's Day of all the days. <laughs> yeah. No triggers um, there. At all. Yeah. And he uh, did some really scary things. We had to call the police actually for the first time on him and he physically assaulted Brian and we had to push up Brian's surgery because he further damaged his arm. Um, and so we had to place him in another acute stay. Jane turned one. You were having your surgery like all at the same time. Oh, and Rock's adoption was getting moved back and pushed back and they were messing all of that up, which that was a whole nother thing. So all of this happened within like a month. Yeah. Um, and that was really hard. So at the time we, you know, like I said, Clark went into acute, uh, acute hospitalization, which acute just means short term, um, for behavioral hospital. And we put him on the wait list for a residential, um, treatment program. So he came home from the acute and had about a month, uh, before before he went in for his residential stay, which is where he actually still is right now, mm-hmm. as of this recording, he's still there, um, doing some some hard work, some good work. We really are hoping that this is gonna put him on the right path. Finally, yeah. um, it's given him a chance to heal as yeah. well and deal with deal with all the demons that uh, he's gone through and all the trials and um bitterness and hate and anger and all the stuff that comes with trauma and being a victim yeah Um, but then also you know you're dealing with yourself becoming the perpetrator you know yeah and that's i think that's just a big thing with him right now i mean he's doing he's doing a lot better phasing up and they go through different you know phases and he's doing 
doing a lot better. I actually, we've talked about this too. I think just him coming out of that, I think he's going to be a different person. He already is. And, um, and I think just a, like maturing mm-hmm. and just age-wise. growing up. Yeah. Has really helped him as well. So, well, I think also, I mean, I say if nothing else, obviously there's other things that there is something else, but I just mean, if nothing else, I think it's given him the space to mature to where, and like a break in our timeline almost where when he comes back, things are going to be different with him at home. Um, and we've kind of, I mean, like I, I call them our bonus kid at the beginning. And I say that because his relationship with us is a little bit different. I mean, we have legally adopted him. So on paper, we are his parents, but he doesn't call us mom and dad. I mean, it we're we're not his parents. I mean, he was 14 when he came to live with us. So, it's more we're more like big brother, big sister mentorship situation and and going forward, I mean, when he comes back, he's 16, he's going to be able to get a job. He's going to be able to start thinking about college and his future and and we've had to come to the realization that his future can't depend on us. It can't depend on his living at our house. We want to give him the best jump into life that we can, but that, that can't, um, that can't happen at the same time as building this traditional family relationship. We have to choose one and he's too old for us to, to choose the family relationship because it would take years and years and years of stress and heartache and struggles to possibly build a normal family or like a, of um, family relationship. And that's a disservice to him because yeah. he doesn't have that much time. He's almost, you know, in two years, less than two years, he'll be 18 years old and a, a legal adult. And we need to get him prepared for that. So yeah. like I said, he does focus, he does function more as a bonus kid. He's a lot older than our other kids. And he, uh, when he comes back, I think that things are definitely going to be different, but his, because of his trauma, he's most scared. He has the most fear inside of a family, a nuclear family. And so we had to put him in a residential facility to get him out of his scariest yeah. situation yeah. so that he could breathe and have the space to heal from his trauma, which we're hoping um, will show when he gets back. So that kind of brings us to now. Um I'm sure there's lots of little tiny details that we skipped over, but um, the things I just want to highlight is just that it was rough. It's been a roller coaster and there has not really been an easy phase. There have been phases that have been easier than others, but there's not been like a time of peace. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm having to learn to be thankful for the transition, the, the transformation that God has put me through put our marriage through um, and just like I said, just me personally, I think that I needed to mature through this and I know that I'm not done yet, but uh, I think the biggest thing was just realizing that I had something to say and that I, I had to follow God's lead in um, my continuing calling, not just wash my hands and call it a day after our adoption was finalized. Yeah. Well, and I think too that you kind of going through the stuff that you went through, me as well. I mean, a lot of people talk about how, you know, losing a kid tears, and a lot of times it tears the marriage apart. And I think the opposite kind of happened to us where it was, we got a lot of kids. <laughs> I mean, we went from zero kids to four in less than two years. And that's, that's a major life change. And I, I think that my ignorance during that time probably was, 
good just to kind of roll with the punches. And I followed your lead a lot and just, you know, trusted you that, that, you know, we knew what you were doing for our family. But I think even in those moments that I see how I should have stepped up or should have helped out more. And now I think with me being healthier, I've been able to kind of come back and be able to help you and you help me make these decisions like we're, we're in this together. This is not just one person at different times in our life that are taking the lead. And I think that our marriage has grown from that of us being able to really lean on each other rather than you take the lead or me take the lead. Like it's, this is us, you know, we're a team. And I think through the stuff with Clark in general, I think has made us our marriage stronger because we've had to rely on each other rather than arguing and fighting between us. We've kind of had to become a team to argue and survive with him. So, um, I think it helped us to get to know, I mean, it forced us through a lot of, um, a lot of marriage like situations or maturity in a really short amount of time. Um, especially with your pain issues. And I think that it forced us to get to know each other in a different way. And, um, I mean, we started counseling. I, I started counseling myself and then you started going with me and now we just do it together. And that's been really good for our marriage to do it. I mean, we do it every week and that's Mm -hmm. amazing. And it's helped us to see each other in different, with different eyes because, you know, I think that, we were both, we both had selfish eyes at first. You know, I saw you as, you know, I felt like I was having to go to battle carrying a wounded surge soldier and do it all myself. And you felt like I didn't see you or didn't care. Um, and we both felt alone and we had to learn to start seeing each other in, in a different light. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm just really glad that you're not in pain anymore. <laughs> I would never, ever want to go back to that phase. I'm just, ever. I'm really glad that you're not pregnant anymore too. Yeah. So. Gosh, I would not want to go back. Yeah. No worries. Brian has been fixed now. We're not. True. We're done. More in more than one way. Yeah. <laughs> hey. All right. So uh, let's jump into the uh, the lightning round questions. Is that okay? Lightning round. Are you ready for that? I think it's so. Quick hitting, quitting, quick, quick, quick hitting questions. So. <laughs> um, real quick. Okay. So, what do you wish that uh, someone would have said to you right at the beginning, like grabbed you by the shoulders and and told you what? Do, what do you think? What What would you want have wanted somebody to tell you up front? Um, probably adoption does not equal attachment. Um, that, you know, they say if God brings you to it, he'll, he'll bring you through it. And that is true, but it is, he's not going to bring you through it in the way that you think he's not going to, to make your journey a cookie cutter version, just like someone else's has been. It's going to look different and adoption does not equal attachment. There is still a whole another journey after the papers are signed or after that child is placed in your home. And it's not, not just with older kids. No. I mean, that's with younger. We have families and friends that have attachment issues with babies and toddlers and seven-year-olds. And it just... Yeah. A lot of times it's not natural. It doesn't come naturally. So I think but, that's good. But I think people are afraid to say that. You know, yeah. people are afraid to admit that they feel differently about their adopted children than they do with their biological children. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen several different versions. You know, I've had to realize that my love for Clark 
it it it's never gonna look the same it doesn't mean i don't love him i mean i love him in a very practical way just like we talked about in um my episode with amy uh amy butler when we talked about you know maslow's hierarchy of needs and and it was her that helped me realize that i do love clark just not in a traditional sense i don't have motherly love for him but that doesn't mean i don't love him yeah um, and it's, it, it's never going to look the same and that's okay. My love for rock has looked completely different than my love for Grady. And I've, I've been so blessed to be able to, I mean, I, I would, I love him the same amount as I love my, I love Grady and Jane, my biological children, but it, it was a journey to get there. It wasn't love at first sight. I didn't, I didn't just cherish those moments of being up all night with him yeah. while he was screaming and withdrawing. Yeah. And I and oh. nobody told me that. I wish that someone had told me that. Yeah. Well, that kind of goes to the next question. Is what do you what do you wish that you would have done differently? You know, there are a lot of things that I wish I'd done differently on the like the basic just most practical sense. Like I wish that I wouldn't have been I wish that I would have handled Clark's food issues differently, like little stuff like that. Like um hmm. I I didn't really know how to prepare with food and in, for cute food insecurities with him. I didn't I had no indication, no previous indication that that would be a problem. You know, we learned about food insecurity and training and stuff like that. But he had been... Tell everybody about that. So, I mean, basically, it's just when kids who have gone without food, they'll hoard food, they'll they'll binge eat, they will lie and sneak food. Um, That's just because they typically haven't had... It's not been as stable... Right. thing in their life that they've been able to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have food in the morning. Like a lot of kids don't have that. Right. Which is sad. But I had no indication that Clark would have a problem with that. He had been for three and a half years. He had been in a situation where he had plenty of food every yeah. day, but it's it wasn't within a family environment. Yeah. And so as soon as he got back into a family environment, he withdrew back into that fear of what if I don't have enough food? Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know what to do with that. I Like I said, I had no indication that that would be a problem. So I treated him just like stop eating five bananas every day because that's ridiculous. <laughs> You're going to like freak out on potassium. <laughs> and, um, and I, I should have handled that differently. So, I mean, that's like some, there are some practical things like that, that I wish I had done differently. Um, I wish I had listened to you more. I think that that's like the overarching thing. You know, I remember at the beginning of this, you were, um, seeing a counselor, uh, separately from me for a while. And, you came home and told me that he had told you that we were not going to teach Clark anything, that he was too old for that and that we were just here to serve as mentors. And I wouldn't listen. You know, back then I, I was like, I think he's wrong. You know, we can, I just wanted to like force it. Like we will be a family. We will this, we will make this work. And I wish I had listened to you about that and about a lot of things. Um, I wish that, I wish that I had had enough faith to let you lead, even even though you were not necessarily in the best position to lead. So yeah, well, um, I just want to say I'm so glad that this is recorded because <laughs> there may not be another time in my life where you say that you listen. I have I'm, said I'm, that I'm just before. Teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but I mean, going through it, obviously, it was it was rough. It mm-hmm. was it was rough, and I mean, the moments you don't know, you just have to trust your gut and have to trust what you feel like is right. So I don't fault you for that either. There's a lot of things that I should have listened to you too. So yeah. Uh, Anyway. All right. Um, so what is your favorite way that your tribe has supported you in the past? Um, I, 
I think I'm going to have to give a list like because they're they're hmm. different. Yeah. So I have really appreciated. I, I'm not I mean, I am a crier. I'm not going to say that I'm like a stuffer emotionally. I'm really not. Clearly, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. <laughs> Hence me doing a podcast about um, adoption and being transparent in every episode, but specifically this one. Um, but it's hard for me. It was, I had to learn how to accept help and I had to learn how to be vulnerable consistently, not just when it felt safe to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and so I have appreciated the people that have forced me to be vulnerable almost who have looked at me. And when, when I say that I'm doing okay and they say, no, but really, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah. Um, I had someone that, you know, you actually, it was really bad day. It was after that terrible mother's day that we talked about, and it was someone that, you know, I'm close to, but I'm not like, like we don't talk every day, you know, we're not like best friends or anything. And you texted her and told her I needed help. And she came over and I completely unexpectedly just burst into tears. And that's really uncharacteristic because it didn't necessarily feel safe. And she had so much grace for me that day. And I felt so vulnerable, but, um, so I've appreciated the people who have like forced me into vulnerability and who have, asked me the hard questions um, and made me answer it, answer them. Um, on a practical sense, my favorite way that people support me is when they're at the store and they say, hey, I'm at Aldi or I'm at Walmart. What do you need? And I <laughs> yeah. can say milk or cheese or, you know, whatever. And they will just bring it over. And sometimes it's nice because they don't even make me answer the door <laughs> and talk to them. Like if I feel if I'm feeling particularly rough that day, they can just be like, I'm just going to leave it on your doorstep. And that is so amazing. Um, I had a friend who cleaned my house and that was, that was humbling, (laughs) (laughs) but it was really awesome. Um, I, yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the baby shower flood was amazing. There have been a lot of ways, but yeah, I think that just bringing me little things that I need practically, not just at first, because, you know, at first I got, we got a lot of meals and we are eternally grateful for those meals but you know the meals stop after a while and that's okay that's natural but the people that still ask me what i need still bring me coffee sometimes um the people that realize that the fire isn't put out yet that's that's my favorite way true wow yeah that's a that's a good list that's (laughs) a lot i think we've been blessed by our community in general like we uh we definitely tried to contribute and I think that that has repaid itself too. So yeah. very appreciative of that. So, okay. Um, last question and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here. Um, what is your last, what is your biggest piece of advice and encouragement that you would offer to other adoptive families? Um, I think that I would, I would say ask the hard questions prepare for things to be hard in a different way than you think they're going to be. It almost always is the case. Your kids' actions are not going to look like the the kids that you talked about in your trainings actions. Um, and I think that people need to be prepared to ask those questions, to not just hide it, to not feel like they're doing something wrong, but to, to become educated and become prepared in the best way possible. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I I think that every kid is different. So obviously every 
situation is going to be different and family dynamic. And you just, there's some things you just can't train for or prepare for. It just kind of has to happen. So yeah, I think it's good. Well, and as the host of this podcast, I have to inform you that you actually skipped a question. Oh no. What did I skip? Yeah. Um, yeah. there, there's a two, the, the one about your tribe supporting you is a two parter. It really is. Yeah. Um, let's see. So what have you, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, this is not my, my podcast. So I know that's I, why I, I, had to, I had to fix it apologize here so uh let's see what's the way that they've supported you that you felt or no not or uh that you felt hurt or not supported despite good intentions (laughs) did i just tell you that was like the weirdest way to ask a question ever (laughs) do you want me to just read it verbatim so that way oh my gosh i I understand the question okay well i figured you did i crafted it it, so yeah. yeah So, you know, I will answer this question. A lot of people get freaked out by this question because they don't want to feel like they're calling anyone out. And the reason I ask it is because people want to know. People need to know. Support systems need to know what they're doing that's hurting us. Yeah. Um, and I think that the biggest thing was the biggest thing that made me feel hurt is that people felt like we were making a mistake from the beginning. Mm. And that is that's part of what made me feel hurt. Because what I wanted to say is, you know what? We might be making a mistake, but so what? Like you still, please still be there for us. Please still walk us through our mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. And, and I'm not saying that we made a mistake. I'm not because I think that, you know, God can make beauty out of any ashes, but it, it, we definitely felt hurt when we felt like people were saying like, well, what did you think would happen? Yeah. Or, well, we tried to warn you or something like that. And not that anyone said that because people are rarely that upfront and rude, but we definitely felt it. Yeah. We definitely felt the eyebrows raised and the, well, you know, sorry about you. Like, and, and we're only human, you know, we're not going to say that we wouldn't have felt that way too, but that doesn't make us need you any less. And a lot of the time, I mean, this is just pettiness and this is like, I don't want to stamp Jesus's name on this feeling because it certainly has nothing to do with him. But, you know, there was a big part of us that was kind of like, I don't see you doing this. I don't see you adopting. So please support us through our mistake, through our, you know, whatever. And through a commandment. Right. We felt called to, I mean, when I say mistake in air quotes, but it's just, you know, what you think is a mistake. Like we still need help with, because it's not like, like I said, I mean, I know that that's a petty feeling to have, but I think that that's, that's definitely the biggest way that we felt hurt. Um, and I think that people did have good intentions. You know, they were trying to warn us against going through something hard, but yeah. And they didn't want to see us go through pain and that's understandable. I mean, somebody that cares about you, but then also you don't see the other side of it where it's super rewarding and you know, <laughs> our our family in general like it's just it's been awesome and god's blessed us through this and i mean i don't know where we would be if we wouldn't have followed what we felt like he was calling us to do so our lives would be pretty boring <laughs> but yeah it's been such a blessing Definitely. to see like rock i mean he still has problems he still cries a lot he still has impulse control issues but it's really cool to see him use his words more and more and to see him not scream and ask for help without throwing a tantrum and I'm so, I, and I'm sure you, but I don't want to speak for you, but I'm so, I count it such a blessing that I get to witness that, that God has allowed me to watch him transform our baby. Yeah. I think a lot of times with me, it's where would he be? Like anytime I get frustrated with him, I think God kind of taps me on the shoulder and says, well, just think about it. He could be in the system right now. 
He could be bouncing around. He could have already been in three or four or five different foster homes. He I mean, could have suffered abuse. Or he, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what happens. Um, sad to say, but that's exactly what happens in the system. A lot of times, I mean, there's been kids out there that have what was one kid's like sixteen homes in like yeah. five years or three years, something insane like that. And so, um, any any of the rough days, even with Clark, that's kind of a reminder that you know we're just we're just trying, you know. We're trying, God bless our efforts, you know, we're, we're trying to do what we feel like is right. So, um, but yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to elaborate on your, no, please. So that's part of being a good host, right? Uh, Yeah. That's what you taught me. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. (laughs) Thanks, babe. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, let's see, where can people find you on social media? Uh, Do you have a Facebook or a Facebook page or anything? Yeah, I think I, I think I have one of those buried deep What's your in, the, AOL? in the interwebs. My my screen name. Your screen name. <laughs> well, so I am on Instagram in one place. It's Alex Fitton. I am on Facebook under Alex Fitton. I have a personal one, and then I also have the Adoptive Mom Podcast. And then you can find show notes at the adoptivemompodcast dot com. And usually, I I post pictures of the people I'm interviewing. Um, I post links and resources, anything we've talked about during the episode. And I always post links to a few resources that I feel are continually important. Um, and then my husband here, Brian, he runs a Facebook page called The Fittens, uh, and he does lots of fun stuff on that. So you can follow our adventures at all of those places. Absolutely. Well, Hey, thanks. And I want to say, I appreciate you uh, doing this. This is awesome. And glad I could be a part of it. So, well, you're a part of it with every week. You just don't know about it (laughs) in good ways and bad. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, all right. Well, that's, that's the end of season one. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Join us for season two in, early 2018 it'll be um i'll announce it when we get closer but please take this time to catch up on episodes um you have 15 to go through so use your time wisely that's right um and yeah see you in 2018 awesome thank you for listening to the adoptive mom podcast i know this stuff is hard and i hope you found encouragement here remember you are enough and you're doing a great job God wants to be at the center of this journey, and he is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.